0: Father in heaven, there really is a lot of anxiety. There has been for a long time. People are anxious about illness. They're anxious about a virus. And for good reason. People are anxious about the unrest that is rising all across the country. And for good reason. But Father, there's, a, there's an answer that is so simple and so easy, yet so difficult, and so hard. We know that the answer is you for all of these things. We know that anxiety falls away when we put our hope in you. We know that hate disappears when we replace it with a love that you show us. We know that peace can rest on our hearts and on our world when we will trust you. So we pray for those that don't know those things. We pray that the eyes of their heart will be opened to see you, to know you, to accept you. And we pray that the appropriate changes will follow. Lord, I pray that where there's hate, love will rise. I pray that where people see race and color, they'll only see a heart and a life the way you do. I pray where there is fear, It will run because you are love. I pray, Father, for our country that needs to know all of these things. Pray for all of us to be reminded of them regularly. And I pray that our hope will always be in you. Lord, let that be the message of our lives. And I pray that that will be the message that is preached here at Libby Christian Church this morning and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know if you have ever had a longing. I'm guessing that you have, but a longing is deeper than just a a desire or a craving. I'm talking about something deep within you, a longing. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page, here's a definition of a longing from vocabulary.com. Take a look at this. A longing is a strong feeling of need or desire for someone or something. A longing describes an unfulfilled desire. The days might feel long as long as you are longing to see someone you love, if that person is far away. You might be longing for your mother's homemade chicken soup if you're sick and far from home. Or perhaps you are a pregnant woman, wide awake, and longing for pickles and ice cream at four in the morning. Let's hope there's a 24-hour deli open somewhere to help satisfy your longing. That's the definition of longing according to that website. And all three of the things that they would call out resonate in my life. Let's just take that first one. Chelsea, if you can go back to that first slide. A longing is a strong desire or a strong feeling or need or desire for someone or something. A longing describes an unfulfilled desire. The days might feel long as long as you're longing to see someone you love if that person is far away. Last fall, a group of guys and I went to Nicaragua on a missions trip wonderful experience we've told you about that absolutely wonderful experience but one of the challenges that we faced was having to take certain medications before we went one of those medications was an anti-malaria drug now this morning i printed off i just had thought about this last night i printed off some of the side effects of anti-malaria drugs. Listen to this, we all know about the side effects of medications. Nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, headache, insomnia, vivid dreams, dizziness, loss of balance, and ringing in the ears. Discuss with your pharmacist or doctor if you're involved in activities that require a high degree of alertness, sense of balance, or performance of skilled tasks. These side effects can occur at any time during drug use and can last for months to years after the drug is stopped or can be permanent. Then they go on to say, continue the course unless these side effects become unbearable. Some of the rare side effects, acute anxiety, depression, restlessness, confusion, severe dizziness, hallucinations. Whew, sounds like a pill you want to take. So I went to the pharmacy, I picked up my pills, and I got that list, and I read through it, and I thought, well, my goodness, maybe I ought to tell them that I do have a a certain degree of alertness that is going to be needed while we're doing the things that we're doing, and I'm not sure that I should take these meds, but I just trusted that to the Lord. Then I read through some of the others, and I have to tell you, my trust started to fade away into anxiety Nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, headache, insomnia, vis- vivid dreams, and so on. And I thought, oh, that's what I want that far away from home. I didn't have any of those side effects, except one. It happened to be the vivid dreams side effect. Never experienced anything like this in my life. I started taking the pills, and all of a sudden, when I would fall asleep, the entire world would become clear to me. It was pretty cool. <laughs> Every night, every night, I was having vivid dreams. But here's the best part about it. They were all about my wife. Every one of them. We would be horseback riding, having a great time. We'd be out for long hikes. We would be camping in places that we have camped in the past. We would be for on walks on the beach. All kinds of different experiences. All of them were coming alive for me at night when I would go to sleep. Now, you have to understand, I don't sleep very well. And so usually, I'm not anticipating going to bed. But by golly, in Nicaragua, eight o'clock would roll around. And I'd be like, well, fellas, I've got to go to bed. I'm, I'm out of here. Because I would have these vivid, vivid dreams. And every night, it involved my wife. So I would be FaceTiming with her, which we had internet access. And we were able to do that most of the time. I'd be FaceTiming with her. And then I'd say, I'll see you in my dreams, baby. <laughs> I'd hang up. And man, it was fun. That was the only only side effect that I experienced the joy of it is this it created a deep longing within me for when the trip was over to be back with my wife riding horses and hiking in the mountains and camping together and walking on the beach and so on so by the time we got home there was a deep longing welling up inside of me to be reunited with her and all of that came from a side effect (laughs) kind of makes me want to take no not really I'll just stop there Then there's those others that fit in this definition as well. Maybe if you're sick and far from home, you have a longing for your mother's chicken soup. My mom made great chicken and noodles. She died 10 years ago. I would love to sit down and share a bowl with my mom. There's a deep longing for that type of thing. And then this last one, if you're a pregnant woman and you're experiencing cravings, you know what it is like to experience a longing. Reading that this last week helped something become very clear for me. Now, let me explain that to you. When Tina was pregnant with our oldest son, Nick, she craved ice cream like mad. I wanted her to crave pickles. I really did, just because I thought that'd be fun. So I'd ask her all the time, do you want a pickle? Do you want a pickle? Do you want a pickle? She never wanted a pickle. She wanted ice cream. Dairy Queen was her place of choice. She really liked Dairy Queen ice cream. So we went there every day. Every day, when she couldn't get Dairy Queen ice cream, she would take ice cream from any place else. At one particular time, I've told you this story before, we were at my folks' house in Hutchison, Kansas, when a tornado came through the area. The sirens had gone off. We were down in the basement. Trees were exploding outside. She was, I believe, seven or eight months pregnant. She said, I need ice cream. I said, maybe a little bit dangerous outside. She said, no, I need ice cream. And she wanted a shake from this specific place in Hutchison, Kansas. And I said, do you have to have it right now? And she said, I have to have it right now. Have you seen the movie Twister that came out in the the 90s? That's what we were living through. But I said, all right, I'm I'm on my way, I'll go get it. And it was always one of two, either a Heath Bar blizzard or a Reese's peanut butter cup, either shake or a blizzard type thing. And, and I asked her which one she wanted, and she told me. I went out and got in the truck. I drove over down trees. I dodged tornadoes as they were coming out of the sky. I saw cows flying through the air, all kinds of different things. But I got there. They had closed up this ice cream shop. I pounded on the door and said, no, you have to open up. I need this Heath Bar blizzard. They made it, and I risked life and limb and got back to her, and she enjoyed that blizzard and everything calmed down even inside the house because, fellas, give me an amen on this. You know that you would rather die at the hands of an angry God than a pregnant woman. Amen? (laughs) The day Nick was born, I went to Dairy Queen and got her a blizzard the very day that he was born, brought it to her in the hospital, and I put it down in front of her. She had no interest in it. She didn't want it. For the longest time, I have tried to figure that out. And finally, this last week, reading this definition, it all became very clear to me. Cravings are simply a symptom of something much deeper, a longing. It wasn't that she was longing for ice cream. It was that she was longing to hold her baby. And as soon as Nick was born and she had him in her arms, ice cream didn't matter anymore. Or at least it took a different role in her life. Finally made sense to me this last week. What she was experiencing was a longing. The craving was just a symptom of it. As soon as she got to realize the joy that she had hoped for, the craving went away, the longing was satisfied. Interesting the way that works. Until we get to realize what we have been dreaming of, the longing remains. So do the cravings. That is true in the physical world. Whether that is longing to see someone or whether that's longing for a bowl of soup or whether that's longing to hold a baby in your arms, doesn't matter. Spiritually, the same type of thing happens. Until we realize the joy of what we have been looking forward to, a longing will remain. The Bible teaches us that in the most unique of places. If you brought a Bible with you, I want to encourage you to open to a familiar place, Hebrews chapter 11. We know it as the faith chapter. I've been exploring it different than I ever have just this past week, and I've seen some things that I have never seen before, really curious, intriguing things. One of the things that popped out to me is the division of this chapter. I've never seen that before. The first part of Hebrews chapter 11 deals with what I would refer to as an inner experience of faith. And then the last part of the chapter deals with what I would refer to as an outer expression of faith. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. I know you're familiar with these words, but listen again. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. But by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Hopefully what you were seeing was the same thing that I was throughout the course of this week as I was going through those verses. Every person that is called out is demonstrating an inner experience of faith. We have the Bible telling us that what they were seeing in God ended in a certain result from God, an inner experience of faith. Now, you might say as we read through that list, all of those are Old Testament examples. So that really doesn't apply to us. I want to remind you what the Bible says about itself, particularly what the New Testament says about the Old Testament. This is found in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Don't ever dismiss the Old Testament stories as simply Old Testament stories. Don't ever believe that because we live under a new dispensation, because we live during the days of the church age or under the new covenant, that we don't have to pay attention to what happened in the Old Testament. Don't fall into that trap. The things that were written in the past were written to instruct us. They were written to stretch us and to teach us. And that's what Hebrews chapter 11 is doing. It is teaching us what an inner expression or experience of faith looks like, and then how God responds to it. Well, in the last part of the chapter, we begin to see how that changes us. It becomes our outer expression of faith. Pick up with me in Hebrews 11 again, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up to Isaac, And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. "'By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down "'after they had been encircled for seven days. "'By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish "'with those who were disobedient "'because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies.' though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Wow. That is an inspiring chapter to read. It really is. And when we break it down and see the two different parts of it, the inner experience of faith that leads to an outer expression of faith, we have to wonder, we have to wonder, what causes that? What is it that causes a person who has this inner experience of faith to so love the Lord that the outer expression of their faith would lead them all the way to the grave without realizing the promises that they hoped for? There has to be an answer for that. What would cause it? Well, there is an answer, and it is found in Hebrews chapter 11. There's two answers, actually. Two things that happen between an inner experience of faith and an outer expression of faith that changes a person. Let me show it to you. If you were paying attention, we skipped over a few verses, starting in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, both things, both of the things necessary to experience the type of faith that we just read about are called out in those three verses. We're going to put them up on the screen for you just so you can see this. The first one is found in the word seeking. The second one is found on this next slide. It's discovered when we understand this type of a desire. If you're a note taker in your Bible, you may want to highlight or underline those two words. As you go through this entire chapter, they are anchor points. They will help you understand what it was deep within these people that caused them to do what they did all the way to the grave. They will help you understand an inner experience of faith that shows itself through outer expressions. Now, let's unpack both of these. We'll start with the word seeking. This one is pretty intriguing, particularly within the last eight to ten years. Neuroscience has discovered something. They've revealed it. They've announced it. They have publicized it. They've put it out for everybody to understand. They call it the seven core instincts of humanity. Back in 2012, researchers discovered that all of mankind experiences these seven core instincts, and many of the members of the animal world have the exact same core instincts. Here they are listed for you. Anger, fear, panic, grief, which is interesting in the realm of instincts, panic and grief come from the same place. Maternal care, pleasure, and lust also coming from the same places, and that's not hard to understand. Number six, play. And number seven, pay close attention to this, seeking. It is a core instinct that we will always seek more. The primary researcher on this would go on to make this statement. Whether we're striving for a new job, more meaningful relationships, or personal enlightenment, we need to actively want something more in order to live well. In fact, neuroscience shows that the act of seeking itself rather than the goals we realize is the key to satisfaction. The innate human desire to seek means that we can never truly feel that every desire and wish has been met. There will never be an end to the to-do list, future goals and plans, the things we want to achieve and see. But the fact that we don't have everything we want is exactly what makes life so fulfilling. Now, you've heard me say on a regular basis that it is not the job of science to prove the Bible. It is the job of the Bible to prove science. And it is so interesting to me that once again that is happening, particularly in the realm of the neurosciences. As new things are being discovered all the time in that realm, this whole list of seven things comes out to prove what Hebrews chapter 11 verses 13 through 16 is teaching us. The very thing that is necessary for a person to go from an inner experience of faith to an outer expression of faith is seeking. We are looking for something more. We are looking for something greater. And in that inner experience of faith, one of the things that we discover is that God has something greater waiting for us. There is something more that waits. We know it is the heavenly realm, and therefore we don't want to do anything to compromise that. We want to, don't want to do anything to let go of that. In fact, we want to make sure that we're holding on to our faith in such a way that we will get to realize the hope of heaven. Amen? really amen Amen. we don't want to compromise that so we are seeking something much greater Hebrews 11 would tell us in two different places that these people that lived with this inner experience of faith all the way to death did so without realizing the promises that they had been given they did so expecting something greater They were always waiting, looking ahead, living forward for what the Lord had for them. And today in Christianity, we do the same thing. My friends, if you believe that this is your best life right here, right now, you are selling God short. That is all you're doing. You are selling God short because the best of creation waits for us. The Lord has promised us that we're going to have some struggles in this life. But He has also promised us that He will go through those struggles with us. Therefore, we should never give up. And we need to hold on to the idea. We need to hold on to the truth that there is something much greater waiting for us. That's what God is holding on to. That's what God is pushing us forward towards. That's what God has waiting for us. As a result of that, Jesus would make this statement in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added to you. We seek first His kingdom and in that seeking, we will desire heaven. Now hold it. Let's grab that word too because Hebrews 11 uses it. We will desire heaven. We will desire something so much more. And how amazing is that when we do? We will start to recognize that there is more waiting for us. Desire is such an intriguing thing to us. We want to believe that desire is momentary. We see certain things that we want, and all we want to do is go after those few things. That's all we're interested in. But when desire is wrapped in faith, we will begin to recognize something so much and it will help us understand passages like this in Psalm chapter 37. Turn there with me, will you? Right in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 37, verse 4. The psalmist writes Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here it is again Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Modern Christianity teaches that verse this way. Well, not all of modern Christianity. Some versions of it. If you become a Christian, God will give you whatever you want. If you become a Christian, give your life to the Lord, then everything that you've ever hoped for, everything that you've ever desired, everything that you have ever coveted, that will all become a part of your life. You'll just get it. Well, there are a number of people that would tell you that is not the case. They have given their lives to the Lord and they have not received everything that they have wanted. Certainly, there's a number of people that would tell you that they have given their lives to the Lord and they have prayed in great faith and God has not answered their prayers the way they wanted God to answer their prayers. There are a lot of people that will tell you that because that is their inner faith experience. But because they desire something greater, they are seeking the kingdom of God, they are seeking the things that matter to the Lord, they are okay with that. Because they understand the depth of this passage. And that's what you have to do. And desire changes when we realize exactly what this means. It is the same thing that Hebrews chapter 11 means. When we desire the kingdom of God over our own personal wishes, wants, pleasures, whatever the case might be, then God will grant kingdom desires. He will give you the desires of your heart, the things that glorify Him. He will grant you the things that will pull you closer to Him. He will grant you the things that will solidify your relationship with Him, not just the things that you want so that you can go and enjoy life however you would like to, but things that will help direct you to what waits, things that will help keep you on the path, that will keep you focused as you progress towards that end goal, which is to be in the presence of the Lord forever. Desire has to be tied together with the hope of standing in the presence of God. And if we are seeking the kingdom of the Lord and desiring the things that He desires, when we bring those together we will have the relationship with God that we are looking for. We will have what we've been longing for. And we will get to realize it, even in the short-sightedness of this world, we will get to realize it in the heavenly kingdom. That's what drives people of faith. That's what causes us to say we are seeking a homeland. And back in Hebrews chapter 11, we find some great teaching that helps us do that. Let's go back there. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. One of the things that we must wrap our minds around in order to seek the kingdom of God and desire the things of the Lord so that our inner experience of faith will turn into outer expressions of faith is this simple truth. You are a sojourner here. You are only here temporarily. I want you to think in terms of forever. That's how long God gives us to experience his goodness. The kingdom of heaven will last forever. Heaven will last forever. That's how long it will take to explore the goodness of God and all the things that are waiting for us. Isn't that a cool thought? That's how long it takes. If you were to come to Libby, Montana, and you want to explore everything around Libby, then people are going to come here, and they're going to go to the Kootenai Falls, and they're going to go up into the Yak, and they're going to experience the area up there. They're going to come back here and go to the Ross Creek Cedars, and they're going to kick around the cabinets a little bit, and maybe, just maybe, they're going to spend a week or ten days, and then when they leave here, they're going to feel like they've experienced Northwest Montana. Now, they're going to fall short, but they're going to feel like they experienced Northwest Montana. It will take forever! To experience heaven forever, not a week, not 10 days, not a month, not a year, forever. That's how vast his kingdom is. The 60, 70, 80, 90, maybe for a few people, the hundred years that you have on this earth is the blink of an eye. You're just a sojourner. I like the way Jacob explained that to Pharaoh in Genesis 47 verse 9. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of the years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their sojourning. We are simply sojourners. We are making our way through this world that we might stand in the presence of God. And when we do, what a gift that will be. This is what waits, according to the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 1, reads, For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked, For while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. This is a tent. That's all this is. This is a tent. But when we get to heaven, our home waits. Our home is there, and it's the place of forever. That's the cool part of it. You're just sojourners right now. That's all. Just sojourners. As the Lord takes us through this life, he does so with something much greater waiting for us. Back in Hebrews chapter 11, there is a third word that should capture our attention. It should stand out to us as we go through, especially those three verses that we held off on. Let me show it to you. Here it is up on the screen. for he has prepared for them a city. Now here's what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us. The people that had come into this inner experience of faith, and they had followed the Lord. Let's just take Abraham. Abraham was told that he had to leave Ur of the Chaldeans in order to go to the promised land. If he had wanted to, he could have turned around and gone back home. That's true for every person. When we come to Christ, if we want to, we can turn around and go back to where we came from. We really can. The lady on Facebook this week, and I couldn't figure out a way to actually show you her post without her name, so I didn't want to do this, but she posted, I don't ever want to go back to my old way. God has offered me too much. It's pretty good. I don't ever want to go back. God has offered me too much. Well, we can all turn around and go back, but because we choose not to, the Bible says, therefore, boy, that's a transitional term, Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I bogged down, especially Friday afternoon, I bogged down on this sentence. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Of all of the emotions that I have known God to have, happiness, joy, love, anger, jealousy, all of those emotions never thought of the Lord having the capacity to feel shame. But this verse teaches us that he could. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. I want you just to think about how that applies in your own life. When God looks at you, is he ashamed to be called your God? In Matthew chapter 25, there's a beautiful picture of what that looks like if we put it in the right context. It's the parable of the sheep and the goats. To the sheep, the Lord will say, come and enter your rest. To the goats, he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. He was ashamed of them. And he will tie all of that to the outer expressions of faith. What did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I've entrusted to you? How did you approach other people? Those are the questions that God would ask to determine whether you're going to move into the joys of heaven and your eternal rest or whether you will be moving into a place that Matthew records this way, right from the mouth of Jesus, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Are you desiring a homeland? Are you seeking something so much better? Or are you content right here, right now, believing that this is the best and therefore you're okay? If you are in that second group of people, you have to know, you have to know, listen to me, if you don't take anything else with you today, you have to know that what waits is a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. On the other side of that, for those that God would look at and say that He is not ashamed to be called your God, there's this homeland, this wonderful place that isn't a tent, that isn't temporary, it is permanent and requires forever to explore. And when we choose to make that choice to allow our inner experience with faith to become our outer expression of faith, God looks at us and says, I'm not ashamed of you because I'm keeping you right where I need you to be. You're doing what you need to do. You're walking the path you need to walk. You are growing closer to me every day instead of walking further away from me, which is what we talked about last week. It's pretty amazing when we recognize that. I don't ever want to hear God say, I'm ashamed to be called Phil Allspot's God. You think about that application, you think about what that sounds like. You go out and tell people that you're a Christian. Does God look at you and go, I'm not ashamed of you saying that? Or you go out and tell people you're a believer and the Lord says, oh, I'm ashamed of that. It becomes pretty personal when you plug your own name into it, doesn't it? And then at the end of it, this question exists. Where is your homeland? Is it in the presence of the Lord? Or is it in a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth? We were talking about that this morning with my prayer group, and as we were going through that, one fellow said, what is the difference between all of that and us disappointing God? It has to be different, and it is. There is a deep difference between disappointing the Lord, sinning and making a mistake, and then becoming one of those people that God is ashamed of. That is a broad line. It isn't narrow. That is a broad line. In fact, I really like the way Philip Yancey captures that. We need not be afraid of making mistakes because grace is deep. Grace is deep. So when we make mistakes and we stumble and we face challenges in our faith, even the inner experiences of it, God still has grace to pour out on us. Don't ever forget that. And recognize that when those things happen, it stirs something deep within us. Look at what Yancey says about it. The Bible never belittles human disappointment, but it does add one key word, temporary. What we feel now, we will not always feel. Our disappointment is itself a sign an itching a hunger for something better. And faith is, in the end, a kind of homesickness for a home we have never visited, but we have never stopped longing for. When we feel like we have disappointed God, the longing is stirred. When we find ourselves feeling disappointed in God, the longing is stirred. To know more, to experience more, to discover more. That's the whole process. For the next several weeks, we're going to be looking at what this entails by looking at some of the amazing stories of Scripture We're going to pull some of the main lessons out of those stories that will put us on a path as we are seeking a homeland, desiring something more. I'm going to show you ways from their stories to overcome the challenges of life. I'm going to show you what it means to progress through disappointments that we might bring on God. I'm going to show you what it means to tap the well of grace. I'm going to show you what it means to stay on that path. The Bible is going to show us all this. It's going to be a fun study this summer. I hope you'll be here for it. And I hope you will dive deeply into Hebrews chapter 11 as we make our way through this. You can read it every day and grab those stories. Grab what the Bible teaches, particularly those three verses right in the middle that separate the two parts. You're going to need to see it. Why not you stand with me? We're going to pray. The worship team's going to make their way up here. And we're going to offer an invitation. If you would like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. If you know that the Lord has been ashamed of you and you want to change that, you can make those changes today. If you want to take all of the things of your past and allow the Lord to have them, you can leave them in the baptistry. You can do that today. If you've never placed your membership in the church, you can do that today. If you want to pray for yourself or someone else, you can do that today. This invitation is vast. It is God's invitation. All you have to do is respond to it. Dini will be over here at the door. He'll meet you there. You just let him know. Or Jim's actually going to be at the door. Jim will be over here at the door. You let Jim know what's on your heart, what's on your mind, and he'll make sure that your needs get met. Pray with me and then respond to the invitation. Father in heaven, thank you for the temporariness of this life. Thank you for the momentary aspects within eternity. And thank you, Lord, for the longing for so much more. But Father, most of all, thank you for making that possible through your Son. Without Him, we have no hope. But because of Him, we are driven by hope. So, Father, we're grateful for that sacrifice. We are grateful for your love. I'm praying now, especially for those that have never realized it. Would you let that change today? Would you let them realize what it means to walk with you through the ups and downs of life all the way home to heaven? And, Father, for those that have maybe turned and Walk the other way. I pray that they'll do another 180 and head back. All because of a longing to know you, to be known by you, and to spend forever with you. We ask that in Jesus' name and with great faith. Amen.